Glad you found Organic Matters on, it's actually being recorded right now on Thanksgiving Day morning. For those of you that go directly to my URL, which is really easy, all lowercase, bruce.dooley.com. The last name spelled D-E-U-L-E-Y. So it's B-R-U-C-E dot D-E-U-L-E-Y dot com. Or, all lowercase, organicmatters.info. You'll get the show, gosh, by probably noon on Thanksgiving. All the other radio stations and other uh, uh, podcasts may be another day getting it. But anyway, if you have to tune me in that way, I'm starting to have a lot of people do that because it's just quicker and they don't have to go through the ads and all of that stuff. And since I pay for my own show, I don't care if you see the ads <laughs> or hear them. So here we go for uh, for this portion of the show. I'm going to talk a little bit about feeding the world. Came to my brain. Why? Because it's Thanksgiving. Probably the biggest eating day, at least in our country, uh, there is as far as based around food. And the story is nice, and the story is somewhat true. You can go and look at what happened on that first Thanksgiving. It wasn't really a day. It was three days <laughs> because the Indians had to walk two days to get there. But it was at least where that took place, a civil meeting of about 100 individuals. Uh, they did share food, including turkey, but by no no means. I think the biggest single dish was uh, had been venison of the time. The bad side is you should go for yourself and for your children and go read the real story of Thanksgiving. It's good in some ways, but it's also depressing. It's part of our history, so it's like everything I think we should know about that in some ways has been suppressed. I wasn't told that story in any of my school days to know really what happened uh, on Thanksgiving Day. And so it'd be uh, behoove you to go and learn. And, and the natives, the word they used to use for our now indigenous people, supposed to be the proper term, uh, the Indians, have a day of mourning for Thanksgiving. And it's been going on for about 50 years now, or 60, because of the other side of the coin that you should at least learn about. But uh, having said that, it is a good day to share food with everybody just like they did and enjoy ourselves, but do realize as everything, uh, beautiful days, beautiful times don't always come easy. So maybe the way I should start this part of the show is it's how can we learn from our mistakes and pave a way for sustainable, nutritious, local meat? I searched a lot of places and found some of this information. One is uh, that you're welcome to go find, I think, free on the Internet. It's called Grass-Fed Beef for a Post-Pandemic World by Lynn Pledger and her co-writer Ridge Shin. So I got a lot of information from them, and I admittedly, again, pull from the sources. I've always promised on this show that I will fact-check everything I put on this thing. I, I, I really get... I want to use the word depressed, maybe the word's disgusted. When I go to other places and they write stories or facts, they call them facts, that if you go look, they, they don't have any ibids. They don't tell you where they get the information. They just kind of make it up, and it's become a way of life, especially on a number of the, what I call, they call them news channels, but they're not. They're actually just commentary channels. So if you hear it here, to the best of my knowledge, it's been checked, and it is true seems that every day we wake up to a new crisis, from the COVID-19 pandemic and now high fuel prices to empty store shelves and to add to all that, now the war in Ukraine. Our world is in a constant state of change. 
while many cry doomsday. Some, like Ridge Shin and his partner Lynn Pledger, which again, I'm getting some of this information from, know that the secret of resiliency in a changing world can be found through healthy soil created with the help of grazing ruminants. Relying on a lifetime of experience with cattle and resources, Ridge and Lynn takes us on a trip through the production of agriculture in the United States in their book, which again is available online. I'm going to do excerpt and a little bit of my commentary on it to give you an idea of where it's going. But if you're interested in, in what I call new animal science, this is definitely a, a book for you. They explain how farmers and ranchers went from grazing livestock on pasture to confining cows in grassless pens where grain and byproducts are brought to them. Grain and byproducts that are grown usually, almost always, with synthetics, the previous part of the show, fertilizers, pesticides, and fungicides, and the heavy use of fossil fuels. These practices, in no small part, have led to the degradation of our soils, our waters, and at least, to some degree, our own health. Of course, as all things that are controversial, this has led many people to vilify animals, cows in particular, and falsely claim that they are largely responsible for our climate change. This book that I'm uh, getting part of my quotes from, once, is part of a good way to set this record straight. This new method of grazing cattle has a net climate benefit. To take a quote from their book, regenerative grazing will change the way our society thinks about beef because the grazing itself is as significant as the meat. It kind of amazes me, folks, having um, been around a while. I'm in my 70s. I live where we grow a lot of meat. I live in Texas. But it's amazing that even the ranchers and farmers, a lot of them around here, are just not aware of how important it is for plants to be grazed for eons. The simple act of an herbivore biting off part of a plant has led to what Dr. Alan Williams refers to as in total positive compounding effects. The herbivore, such as a cow is, bites the plant. That plant releases what, what we call root exudates. They're just carbon compounds. Then fungi and bacteria feed on those exudates. Protozoa and nematodes feed on the fungi and bacteria, which cause them to excrete excess nitrogen, which is then used by the more plants for the growth of the plants. Microorganisms also help to bind the sand, the silt, and the clay, and all this stuff together uh, into aggregates, and those aggregates allow water to infiltrate the soil instead of flowing off over the surface. Infiltrated water absorbed into the carbon in the soil makes farmland resilient to drought. In other words, the positive compounding effects generated by the grazing animals themselves go on and on if handled properly. So in essence, Ridge and Lynn really take a deep dive into the soil health, plant health, animal health, and of course human health connection. It is this connection that has the ability to bring us all together. No matter where your interest lies, whether it's in climate change like myself, clean water like me also, profitability, I'm, <laughs> I'm not in that game, for farmers and ranchers. The revitalization of our rural communities, which consequently will improve our health, regenerative agriculture will be driven by adaptively grazed cows and can address many of the issues we face uh, in our, I want to call it our meat society problems. We can come together finding common ground for common good 
again behind the wall of real science. I do believe we must continue to educate ourselves no matter what profession, whatever we do. I'm on the radio, but whatever profession you're in, there's always something to be learned. To keep honing your skills, we must learn from our experience. In their book, Grass-Fed Beef for a Postemic World, Ridge and Lynn share their lifetime of experience. In fact, every chapter highlights stories of people, places, and predicaments that Ridge encountered over the years as his understanding of grass-fed beef production has developed. I really did learn from this book, and I'm super confident that you will too. Most of this came from Gabe Brown, written in June 2022, and my opinion, of course. And uh, there's some other people, a guy you should look up named Alan Savory, S-A-V-O-R-I. As a matter of fact, Savory, if I can find it, I'll give you a connection to it, did an excellent, excellent TED Talk recently on this particular subject. For the last little piece of this portion of the show, I am going to give you another little, uh, what I call, a dualism, an organic factoid. On an intermediate day-to-day level, the food that we eat is about only as good as the soil from which it springs. And that doesn't just mean plants. That means the animals that live on that soil. In part because of soil depletion, most food grown today is far less nutritious than that of most previous eras. You remember the old saying, the adage, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Here's some science. Over the last 80 years, the calcium content of one medium apple has dropped by about half. The levels of phosphorus, iron, and magnesium have fallen by more than 80%. So to get that same doctor-avoiding kick that you used to be able to get, you'd now have to eat five apples. And this is fruit straight from the tree. Processed foods, which is how we most of us eat it, also lose even more nutrients in route from the field to the box or the bottle that you're drinking it from or whatever. Scientists believe today's high obesity rates are paradoxically a symptom of malnutrition due to Diets deficiency in micronutrients, which in my brain just gives me a question. Can it be, here I am being uh, pretending to be scientist, could it be that the declining nutritional content of our food is also a factor in our rising rates of chronic diseases and allergies, particularly food allergies among the young, the children? If I might refer to myself, I hate to do that, but it's, uh, it fits here. In the last week or two, I've started on each show doing one particular fruit or vegetable that's on what we call the Dirty Dozen list. You can get that list from the Environmental Working Group and a number of other places. And it's just a group of uh, plants and animals that have been studied, mostly plants, for my first Dirty Dozen, that uh, are really better off bought organic. And if you read or listen to any of my organic matters, I did apples, which is what we're talking about right now, and I've done strawberries, and I'll continue with another one today, probably potatoes. The point being, back to the same old adage I use for other reasons, that we are what we eat. Unfortunately, what we eat is many times grown to the detriment of our health. All they're looking for is volume. We do have to now feed 8 billion of us, folks. That is a lot of folks. Uh, Have to consider that. But there's no doubt in, in the good scientists' minds that we have the ability still to feed us. Matter of fact, the big problem, it seems to be, worldwide right now is not can we grow enough food. We probably can grow enough food. We probably can grow sustainably and maintain the health of our world. The problem is getting that food to the people that really need it. Uh, the transportation and, and, and the remember, food is definitely perishable. 
So the problem getting to the people that, that are all that are really in trouble, we actually realize or see very little of in this part of the world and that where my radio show reaches anyway. But we should be aware of it. Yes, it is going to take some concentration, some good science, some great ranchers and farmers. We can definitely raise the food we need. We need to figure out how to, to transport it, how to, to make it available to those that are certainly less fortunate than we are. Thanks for tuning in to this portion of Organic Matters.